Amen. Amen. Merry early Christmas to you. Good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. Our sermon text this morning is in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. Uh, we'll be reading here after we pray uh, verses 26 through 38. Uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. If you're here with us for the first time, we will put all of the verses on the screen for you. Uh, you're also welcome to open them up and look in your own Bible if you have one. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Let's pray. Well, Father, we just bless you for this season. We bless you for this day. In many regards, it's, it's just a really simple celebration. The celebration of a birth. It's just very, very simple. You, Father, are reaching down to us. And we just thank you for it. This is good, good news. And, and I do pray, Father, now, in the name of Jesus, that you would open our hearts to the simplicity of the gospel message. You would open our hearts to the simplicity of a Savior named Jesus. And you would help us this morning, Father, in this Christmas season, that we might really know, really, really know you. We pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. In the winter of 1965, a young boy asked a very significant question. This boy, just completely exasperated by all he was seeing around him, confused, frustrated, desperate, and he finally just exploded with this hugely important question. It was a moment in history that was actually captured on camera. Here's a photo. Charlie Brown, the 1965 Charlie Brown Christmas special. And the question from Charlie Brown there in front of millions of TV viewers, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? 
And it's a fantastic question, and it's just an incredibly important question this time of year when we are surrounded by all kinds of different things, friends and family and shopping and, and stockings and trees and a Grinch and a partridge in a pear tree. Just all of these great things, and you could just really easily miss the significance of this season. So we always take on this Sunday right before Christmas, we, we take this Sunday to remember once again what Christmas is all about. And we find the answer to Charlie Brown's question right here in this text. This text here tells us two things about the meaning of Christmas. What is it all about? Well, here it is on the screen. One, a child. And two, his people. And the first thing this text says, most important thing to know about Christmas, what is Christmas all about? It's about a child. You know, the Bible says at the start of this text we just read that a little over 2,000 years ago, an angel appeared in Galilee in Israel to a young woman named Mary. And really to catch the importance of what's going on in this text, you, you need to understand the setting at this time. Now, the people of Israel back at this time were just extremely weary. Very, very downtrodden, beaten down people. Once a very powerful nation, this nation of Israel had been one of the most powerful on the earth, but by this point in time, Israel had lost a lot of its glory. The, the world in, in many ways had just passed Israel by. And Israel was still clinging to a promise from God that God would someday send this Messiah to his people, to, to rescue his people, to lead his people to this eternal uh, 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 peace and, and prosperity. But it had become increasingly difficult as the years rolled by for the people of Israel to actually cling to that promise and by the start of the book of Luke, it, it, it wasn't just that the world had passed Israel by. No, it, it, it actually seemed at this point that God had passed Israel by. God had stopped talking to the Jewish people through the Jewish prophets. There had been 400 years of complete silence. Between the Old Testament books and the New Testament books in the Bible, God no longer speaking. But God now very suddenly, he breaks his silence through this angel. And it's not just any angel here, is it? It's not just like you, you, you see here some low-level angel intern like Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life still trying to, still trying to win his uh, uh, wings. No, this was Gabriel. This was one of the most powerful angels in the entire Bible. The last time Gabriel had actually appeared in the Bible, it was hundreds of years earlier, way back in the book of Daniel, when Gabriel had appeared and told Daniel about a future coming Messiah, a Savior. And Gabriel now appears once again, hundreds of years later, to announce the birth of a child. If you look again at verse 31, and behold, Mary you will conceive in your womb 
and bear a son. And it's not just any son here, is it? You know, this text, if you really look at it, says several things about this child. And the first thing the text says here is that this child would be the Son of God. Gabriel actually says it twice to Mary. If you look at verse 32, here's the first. Gabriel says, He, this child, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Most High in the Bible is God. So the Son of the Most High is the Son of God. And Gabriel says it again a little bit later, even more clearly. Mary hears now that she'll have this child, can't figure out how this will happen since she's not married, just betrothed or or engaged. She's never been intimate with a man, so she asks a question. If you look at verse 34, she says, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin, and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Two times, Gabriel says it in this chapter. Mary, here, she would conceive, Gabriel says, by the Holy Spirit, miraculously, and her child, Gabriel says, two times, would be the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. The Bible says that there's only one God, but this one God has existed from all eternity in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Gabriel just said to Mary that her child would be the Son of God. Eternal Son of God, second person of the Trinity, God Himself in Mary's womb. But another thing Gabriel says here about this child, he won't just be the Son of God. No, this child will also be, he will truly be the Son of Mary. Verse 31, you will conceive in your womb, Mary, and bear a son. And the Orthodox Christian teaching for 2,000 years is that the human body of this infant truly was then formed from Mary's own body. The eternal Son of God who had existed from all eternity, He would now enter into Mary's womb, take on human flesh, His body created, formed out of Mary's own substance. Which means... This child probably looked like Mary, had his mother's eyes, or his mother's smile, or laughed like Mary. But you know what this also means? It means that this child was now the one and only God-man. Fully God, eternal Son of God, but now also fully human. God in human flesh. John Piper said this. He said, and what can this mean except that the human nature from Mary and divine nature from the Holy Spirit united in this child. Mary contributed humanity. The Holy Spirit contributed divinity. God in human flesh. You just sang about it a little bit earlier in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Here it is. Veiled in flesh in humanity, the Godhead see, divinity, hail the incarnate or the enfleshed deity, son of God, son of Mary, God in human flesh. 
And another thing Gabriel says is he just keeps going on about this child. He will be a king. A king forever. If you look at the middle of verse 32, Gabriel says, And the Lord God will give to this child the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. In the Old Testament books, way before this, back in 2 Samuel 7, God promised to King David that an heir from his line would one day sit on his throne as king forever. The eternal Messiah King. And Gabriel has now said to Mary, your child is that Messiah And one final thing Gabriel says about this child. He's son of God. He's son of Mary. He's eternal king. And Gabriel says he will also be a savior. If you look at verse 31. Gabriel here. God speaking through Gabriel names this child. Gabriel says and behold you will conceive in your womb. And you will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And why Jesus? Why the name Jesus? Because that name Jesus means savior. It comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua or Joshua meaning salvation. Matthew one twenty one captures it. Says this. And you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For or because he will save his people from their sins. This child would be a savior. Save people from their sins. Pause. This child was not here to save good people. That is not how the biblical salvation works. You don't somehow make yourself into a good person. You you perform all kinds of good works and somehow climb your way up to God and then Jesus saves you when he sees that you're good enough. No, that's not how it works. The Bible says you will never be good enough. We are sinners. All of us. But the good news at Christmas time is that Jesus came to save not good people, but bad. Here it is, 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Salvation is not about you somehow working your way up to God. No, Christmas reminds us that God came down. To you. He took on human flesh, Jesus did, and then took upon himself on the cross the punishment for our sin in order that we, sinners, might be forgiven. And you just pause and think about what's happening here. You know what God was doing when he took on human flesh right here? The God of this universe was making himself vulnerable, hurtable, killable. You know Christianity is the only major religion that says that God has done that. The the, the Christian God, he doesn't love like other so-called gods in some distant, abstract 
sort of way, some far-off life force that supposedly loves us, but not vulnerable at all. No, the Christian God loves in a very vulnerable way. He stepped into this fallen world. He entered our chaos. He carried our sin. He made himself killable. And he was then killed to pay for our sin. The greatest demonstration of love ever. John fifteen thirteen says this, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And it is only the Christian God who has done that. The only true God laying down his life in love for sinners like you and me. So that is the first part of the answer to Charlie Brown's question. What is Christmas all about? It's about a child. Son of God, Son of Mary, eternal King, a a Savior. But we then see here, I believe in this text, a second part of the answer to Charlie Brown's question. What is Christmas all about? Number one, it's about a child. But then number two... Christmas is about His people. And we catch here in this text just a little glimpse of the type of people this child had come to save. The the type of people who would receive His forgiveness and become His people. Listen, it it is very significant here, no accident, that God chose this young woman, Mary, for this task. And one reason why God chose this particular person, well, God was giving us here, I believe, a little picture of the type of people Jesus had come to save. Those who would receive his forgiveness and become his people. We can see several attributes here in Mary that are also attributes of the the people Jesus now saves. And the first thing that we see here in Mary... Mary was just very ordinary. She was just a very ordinary young woman living in a very ordinary town. You know, it's crazy here that that this, this powerful angel Gabriel, he appears now in this particular town. It's crazy. Why? Because Nazareth was nothing. It was this little backwater town. I mean, commentators say there were maybe 50 to 100 people living in this town. Archaeologists say there was one well in in this town. It's a town so small, so ordinary, that when Nathaniel in John 1, he heard that the Messiah would come from this town, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Got to be kidding me. You know the little towns that you pass through on road trips and you stop and you get gas and you clean the bugs from your windshield and you hightail it out of town then thanking God that you don't actually live there in that little town that was Nazareth. Ordinary town. And listen, Mary was just a very ordinary girl. And, and she was just a girl. You know, Mary was betrothed to be married, is similar to our engagement, but women back then were typically betrothed very young. 
Most scholars believe that Mary was maybe 12 to 14 years old. And listen, Mary, she was not some extraordinary girl. She she was not sinless. Now Mary says herself later here, we'll see it in Luke 1, that God was her Savior. Even Mary acknowledged that she was a sinner needing a Savior. And she also wasn't some sort of princess. She wasn't a member of the elite in Jewish society. She wasn't a king's daughter. No, Mary most likely was a little peasant girl. She pulled water from a well. She collected firewood. She had dirty feet. She was probably illiterate. Very ordinary. Daniel Darling says this. He says, she was like every other Jewish peasant girl in Nazareth, simply living out an ordinary life in an ordinary town with unassuming dreams. Or Kent Hughes says this about Mary before Gabriel's visit. He says, from all indicators, her life would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly, give birth to numerous poor children, never travel farther than a few miles from home, and one day die like thousands of others before her, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. She was just a very ordinary person. The type of person that Jesus now saves. You know, it's easy to think that Jesus, he might just save the extraordinary people of this world. The, 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 the big people of this world, the elite, the smart, the, 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 the strong, the royalty of this world. But Mary reminds us that Jesus came to save the ordinary. The small, the poor, the unintelligent, the illiterate, the unsuccessful nobodies of this world. Daniel Darling says this, he says, we often think God works through extreme giftedness or among those who are wealthy and well-connected, but the Christmas story reminds us that God moves in and among those whom society most often leaves behind. Nobody knew Mary's name, nobody but God, of course. And here's the good news, is that God knows your name too. No matter how ordinary you might feel, or hidden, or lost, or unseen, God knows you. God sees you. And Christmas reminds us that Jesus came to save the ordinary of this world. And another thing we see in Mary, another characteristic of the people that Jesus came to save, Mary was humble. You know, we see it later here when Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth. Mary says this in Luke 1.46. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in whom? In God, my Savior, Mary says. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Mary was just a very humble, ordinary person. Humble, the the type of person that Jesus had come to save. Those who humble themselves. Those who openly acknowledge their 
their brokenness. Openly acknowledge their weakness, their sin. Those who will openly confess their their sin to God and other people. Like the tax collector in Luke 18 just beating his chest and crying out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, just a humility. And the Bible says that God then forgave that man. Jesus saves the humble. That's who he came to save. Please hear me when I say this. Jesus does not save the proud. He does not save the proud. Those who boast in their own supposed goodness, thinking they've arrived at some measure of goodness in and of themselves, those who who now look down their nose inside at at other people, the, the proud of this earth who won't acknowledge their sin, who won't openly confess their sin to God and others, God does not save the proud. No, the Bible says, on the contrary, that God actually fights against the proud. 1 Peter 5.5 says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, for God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, Under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. See the command from Scripture to humble yourself, so that God might then exalt you. Or Jesus said it like this, Luke 14, 11. He said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you exalt yourself in this life, boasting in your own supposed goodness, not openly acknowledging your sin, God will oppose you, and the Scriptures say, God will bring you down. But if you humble yourself, openly acknowledging, confessing your sin just to God and other people, God will forgive you. God will save you in and through Christ, bring you up in the end. Those are two characteristics we can see in Mary, ordinary, humble, that I think also describe the people to whom Jesus had come and would save. And another thing we see in Mary that we also find in those whom Jesus saves, Mary was powerless. Mary was completely powerless. Mary Mary was told here that she birthed this Messiah King did this child, but she was powerless to make it happen. There was nothing she could do to produce this particular child. But God could. You look at verse 34. How will this be, she says, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Then look at verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. It was possible with God, but very impossible with, with Mary. She was absolutely powerless to make this thing happen. And that is the type of people whom Jesus now saves. You cannot save yourself. You cannot wash away your own sin. You cannot make yourself good enough. You cannot work your way up to God. You cannot birth yourself into God's kingdom. In John 3, 7, Jesus said this. He said, 
you must be born again. You must be born again. It's simply meaning that all of us must be reborn spiritually. Your hard heart of stone, as the Bible says, your your sinful heart must somehow be changed into a heart of flesh. You must somehow be birthed into God's kingdom. And all of you know that you can't birth yourself. It doesn't happen for any baby in this earth. They do not birth themselves. And you cannot cause yourself to be spiritually reborn all by yourself. You are absolutely powerless to do it. But God can. For, as Gabriel said, nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary was ordinary. She was humble. She was powerless. And one final thing we see with Mary here that we also now find in those whom Jesus saves. Mary was simply willing. You know, you you look at this text and the only thing that Mary really did here, she simply said yes. She just said yes to God. She, she, She hears from this angel that God will somehow birth this child in her. She probably doesn't understand most of what is happening, at least at this point in time. And yet she says yes. If you look at verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She simply, she simply submitted. She simply said yes to God. And listen, this was a crazy yes from Mary right here. Do you realize what Mary was saying yes to? Mary was saying yes here to the shame of an unwed pregnancy. You know how people do it. They connect the dots. Oh, Mary, you've only been married for six months and you're having a baby. Mary, you got pregnant before you were married. Thinking she had been sexually intimate before marriage. A huge scandal in this day. Tremendous shame for Mary. And listen, Mary couldn't say here, God did it. God God did it to me. Because then it wouldn't be shameful. They would think she was crazy. No, Mary, in saying yes, she would wear her entire life That scarlet A for an adultery that she did not commit. Mary was saying yes here to a life of shame. Mary was saying yes here to a life of roller coaster emotions. Now, I don't know everything Mary knew at this point, but the angel at one point, or, or it's prophesied in the temple to her that a sword would pierce her soul too. Mary knew. There were some roller coaster emotions coming here. Mary would ultimately watch her son feed the multitudes, heal the sick, raise the dead, see the crowds cheering him. And she'd also see him mocked and taunted. 
Mary would feed her son. She would clothe her son. She would nurse him and rock him to sleep and also see him beaten senseless. Crucified in front of her eyes. A Roman spear shoved into his side. A sword piercing her side as well at that time. This yes from Mary was a crazy, big, complicated yes. I don't get it all, Lord. I do think this will not be easy, but let it be to me, Lord, according to your word. Simply submitted. I'm willing. And listen, do you know what that was in Mary when she spoke that yes to God in that text? You know what that was? That was faith. That was faith. When Mary later visits her cousin, Elizabeth says this in Luke 145, And blessed are you, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary simply believed what God had spoken to her through the angel. Mary's yes was a yes of faith. I I don't understand it all, Lord. I, I know it will be difficult, but... But I will trust you. I believe what you say. I'm willing. And one final time there, I think we see a picture of the type of people that Jesus had come to save. Jesus saves ordinary people, the the small, the hidden, the unseen nobodies of this world. Jesus saves the humble people, not those who think they can climb up to him in pride, but those who simply lower themselves in humility. Jesus saves powerless people, not those who think they can do it themselves, who can wash their own sin away somehow, but those who know they can't do that. And Jesus saves those who are simply willing Those those who simply believe what he says. Those who simply believe the promises that he gives in the scripture. And they just say yes in faith. I don't understand it all Lord. But I believe. I believe Jesus that you're who the Bible says you are. That you are the son of God. The son of Mary. This eternal king and this this savior. I, I believe Jesus that you came to save not good people but sinners like me and I believe Jesus that every sinner as your Bible says whoever whatever sinner truly looks to you in faith and clings to you in faith and follows you in faith will be forgiven saved brought into your family forever I believe it's just this faith this faith that Mary had right there and you then with that faith you then simply submit in faith You say yes. You say yes to what God asks you in the Bible to do in order to receive the forgiveness that Christ brings. And what does God tell you in the Bible to do to be forgiven, to be saved, to to enter God's family forever? The Bible says very clearly that you must repent and believe. You must repent, the Bible says. Jesus, Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you will perish. You must repent. It simply means that you turn away from your sin. You, you turn to God. You acknowledge. You confess your sin to God and other people. God, be merciful to me, a, a sinner. And the Bible says you must also believe. 
You put your faith in Christ. You follow Christ in, in faith. You say yes. It's just a willing submission. And please hear me when I say this. It is not an easy yes. Because if you're truly to be saved by Christ, Christ will ask for your very life. He will ask for you to obey Him as your Master. To seek to follow what He says in His Word. He will ask you to trust Him always. Give up your life. But Jesus promises to you in the Bible that if you give Him your life, you will actually then find your life. You will find then your true life, the life God ordained for you, created you to have. A life you never imagined. And it all hinges on that very complex, that, that, that difficult word, yes. Yes. I don't know what it means exactly. But I believe. Let it be to me according to your word. I am the servant of the Lord. Daniel Darling says this. He says, you may be sitting now in your own insignificant place in the middle of nowhere. A place it seems God has abandoned. But God knows your name. You may be rejected. You may be unethical or unspectacular. But if you are willing to say yes to God, you can know and be reborn by the King of Kings. This is not only Mary's journey, but the journey of everyone who encounters Jesus by faith. And and do you see then? There is a sense in which Christmas is all about a yes. God has freely given this child, His Son, who has now done everything necessary for you to be forgiven and to enter His family. And the only real question now this Christmas, will you simply say yes? A willing submission to the Lord Jesus Christ in genuine repentance and faith. Submitting to Christ as both your Savior and Master. Let it be to me, Lord, according to your word. I am your servant. There's a song that we sing every Christmas. We sang it with the kids today. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And one line in that song has just been reverberating through my mind this week. And it goes like this. Let every heart prepare Him room. Let every heart prepare Him room. And my simple prayer for you this Christmas is that your heart would prepare Him room. That my prayer is that God would now sovereignly open your heart and and. and And cause you to offer that simple and yet difficult yes to Christ. 
And Christ will then enter and change you and be with you forever. And that is what Christmas is all about. It's a child and his people. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. May your heart this Christmas prepare him room. So, Father, we would just ask now for your blessing upon your scripture. We would, we would just stand here now and just acknowledge that we're powerless to do this thing. Father, even now we can hear the words. We just we don't have the power to cause this to happen, but you can. You can by your Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that causes us to see. Ephesians 3 says it is the Spirit who enlightens our hearts. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to respond, to cling to Christ in faith. It is the Holy Spirit that lets us see the, the beauties of Christ and to really believe that the life Christ offers is way better than any other life we could have. It's the Holy Spirit. Your Spirit, Father, brings us to our knees. We don't like to be humble. We just don't. I don't like it. Father, we like to look good in front of everybody. And it is your Spirit, though, who can bring us to our knees and just cause us to openly confess to you and to other people, I am that sinner. You're the one, Father, who can cause us to cry out, Luke 18, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we know, Father, your scripture says that whoever believes in Christ will not perish, but has eternal life. And so we bless you and we ask for your help in this room and that this Christmas would truly be a joyful Christmas as we rest in Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Son of God, Son of Mary, Eternal King, the one and only true Savior. And you, Lord Jesus Christ, you said in the Scriptures, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. The only way, through you, Lord Jesus. So give us faith, and we know then, being forgiven by faith in Christ, we will have the peace that passes all understanding the peace that we are celebrating on this final Sunday of Advent. We bless you, Father, for the peace we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.